Once upon a time, there were three little pigs. The time came for them to leave home and set out on their own. But before they left, their mother told them, whatever you do, do it the best you can, because that's the way to get along in the world. The first little pig built his house out of straw because it was the easiest thing to do. The second pig built his house out of sticks. This was a bit stronger than a straw house. And the third little pig built his house out of bricks. One night, the big bad wolf, who just loved to eat fat little piggies, came along and saw the first little pig in his house of straw. He said, Little pig, little pig, let me in, or I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in. Not by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin, said the little pig. But the wolf did blow the house in, and he ate the first little pig. The wolf then came to the house of sticks. Little pig, little pig, let me in, or I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in. Not by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin, said the little pig. But the wolf blew that house in as well and ate the second little pig. The wolf then came to the house of bricks. Little pig, little pig, let me in, or I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in. Not by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin, said the third little pig. Well, the wolf huffed and he puffed and he huffed and he puffed, but he could not blow down that brick house. And the third little pig lived happily ever after. Now, I've just got to ask you, how many of you are so inspired by that story, you're ready to make right now a decision for Jesus Christ? Anyone? Anyone? (laughs) Well, you might be asking, why are you sharing the story of the three little pigs? Well, let me tell you why I'm sharing that pig. Why I'm sharing that pig. Why I'm sharing that story with you. The reason is every Christian in America is one of those three pigs and the wolves are coming. We're there in Acts chapter 20. Last Sunday, we opened our Bibles to that chapter and took a closer look at Paul's farewell speech to the Ephesian elders. Paul had spent more time in Ephesus than in any other city where he had planted a Christian church. He was there for three years. And as he was there over that three-year period, Paul was leading both Jews and Greeks to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ Uh, He was discipling young Christians. He was raising up and training church leaders. And he was sending out missionaries throughout Asia Minor to reach people for Christ in all those other towns throughout the province of Asia. But in Acts 20, knowing that his days on earth were numbered, Paul said his final goodbye to those Ephesian church leaders. The Holy Spirit had revealed to Paul that prison and hardships were around the corner. And because of that, he was certain that he would never see those Ephesian church leaders ever again. Paul was heading to Jerusalem where he would be arrested and imprisoned. And within a few short years, an executioner would come into Paul's Roman prison, escort him out of that jail cell and hack off his head. Paul would be martyred for his Christian faith. Well, there were so many things Paul wanted to share with the Ephesian church elders before he stepped onto the ship's gangplank and waved goodbye to them for the last time. 
And one of the most important things he wanted to share with them was a warning. And that's what I want to highlight today as we're in Acts chapter 20. We're going to pick up partway through his speech to those Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 28. This is what Paul says to them. He says, if I can get to the right verse here, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stop warning each of you night and day with tears. May God bless us as we study his word together today. Well, back in June, we took a closer look at Paul's mission to Sin City, uh, the city of Corinth over there in Greece. And remember that after we studied his ministry there in Corinth, we took one week to allow this truth to sink in. We today, in 2022, living in the United States of America, are similarly living in Sin City. Corinth was Sin City in Paul's day, and we, in a sense, are living in Sin City in our day. Our culture is caught up in this downward spiral of sin, and much of that sin is seeping into the church, right? Wouldn't you agree? That sin is seeping in. Similarly, I feel led today to take a little time to let another reality sink in. Just like the Ephesian Christians, we do have savage wolves among us. They're not just coming at us from the outside, from beyond the four walls of the church building. Those savage wolves are already here. Now, one of the dangers with any sermon is to jump to the application too quickly. So I want to take a few moments to make sure we understand how God intended this warning of Paul's to be applied to the church in Ephesus in his day. That was the first audience that heard this message. We need to understand what Paul was getting at when he warned them about these savage wolves that were coming to their church. And then once we understand that, uh, we can begin to apply how this speaks to us today and to our church. Well, we get a pretty clear picture of Paul's uh, warning as we look at what he writes later in the New Testament, as he writes a letter to the Ephesians. And in his first letter to Timothy, we read in the early verses of 1 Timothy that Timothy was strategically placed by Paul in Ephesus to help guard them against this false teaching that was infiltrating the church. And so we can go to the book of Ephesus, we can go to the book of 1 Timothy, and we can also go to the second chapter of Revelation where Jesus himself writes a short letter to the church at Ephesus. We can go to those three places to determine what savage wolves were coming after that church. A few quick examples. If you look at Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, we see that the Ephesians' love for God and for each other was growing cold. Uh, Jesus flat out tells them in Revelation 2, he says, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. 
Remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. And and this was Paul's heartfelt prayer for the Ephesian Christians. In Ephesians chapter 3, he writes, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Notice how love is emphasized in both Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3 and Jesus' rebuke of the Ephesian Christians over in Revelation chapter 2. It seems clear that as time passed, certain leaders and influencers within the Ephesian church were distracting the Christians from keeping the main thing the main thing. Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter 5 or 6. He tells the Galatian Christians, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. I remind you of this a lot here at Impact. Christianity can be boiled down to these three things. Number one, trust God. Number two, love God. And number three, obey God. You've got to trust Him, you've got to love Him, and you've got to obey Him. If you're not doing those three things, that ain't Christianity. Because that is Christianity in its simplest form. Well, it seems clear that the Judaizers and other false teachers arose within the Ephesian church and started muddying the waters. They were muddying the clear and simple gospel teaching that they had received from the Apostle Paul. Listen to what Paul tells young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1 as he plants him there in Ephesus to guard them against false teaching. He says to Timothy, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about. And so notice what Paul is doing in that warning. He's warning them against these false teachers, these savage wolves who would arise within the Ephesian church and lead Christians down doctrinal rabbit trails that pulled them away from the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. Those false gospels, those uh, those false teachings would send them down the rabbit trail where they wouldn't fully trust Christ and wouldn't fully love Christ and wouldn't fully obey Christ. False teachers always, always, always chip away at at least one of these, faith, love, or obedience. I would say without fail, a false teacher always chips away at at least one of those, faith, love, or obedience to Christ. Remember that. Now that we know which savage wolves arose within the Ephesian church in Paul's day, now we can jump to the application. Who are the savage wolves in the American church today? Now, this list I'm about to give you is not exhaustive, 
but I want to share with you over the next few minutes 10 savage wolves that have already infiltrated the Christian church in America and are wreaking havoc, pulling people away from Christ and getting them onto these rabbit trails that pull them away from the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want to share these 10 with you. Now, some of these savage wolves are physical predators who do physical damage to Christians. All of these 10 are spiritual predators who do spiritual damage to Christians. They have all divided churches. They've all led Christians down dangerous rabbit trails that once again pull them from Christ and pull them from the pure, unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, let's dive right in. Savage wolf number one, the sexual predator who says, you can trust me when all the while he is abusing women and or children in the church. Now, this is something we don't like to talk about. We'd rather ignore it and not address it. But it is a real issue in some churches in America today. Over in 1 Samuel chapter 2, and by the way, with each of these uh, 10 uh, savage wolves that we're going to talk about over the next few minutes, with each of them, I'm going to give you at least one scripture to let you know without a doubt, in God's word, he warns us about all 10 of these predators, all 10 of these wolves who would come after his people in the church. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, the Jewish high priest was Eli uh, there in Israel. And Eli had two sons who, after they became adults, also became priests there in Jerusalem. Their names were Hophni and Phinehas. They served as priests there in Jerusalem. God's word doesn't beat around the bush when it says in verse 12 of 1 Samuel 2, Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. And part of their wickedness is described in verse 22 of 1 Samuel chapter 2. It says, they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So wrap your mind around this. Certain women would come to worship at the temple and they would come to serve the Lord there at the temple. And Hophni and Phinehas seduced them. If they thought those women were particularly good looking, they would seduce them and get them in bed. That's a wicked abuse of their power. And God punished them for it. They were both killed in battle on the exact same day. Well, we'd like to think that there aren't any Hophnies or Phineases in the Christian church today, but sadly there are. There are. It's not just the Catholic church that has had its fair share of sexual predators in recent years. A little bit closer to home, More than a few evangelical churches have had this issue as well. The spotlight in the past few months has been on the Southern Baptist Convention. The Southern Baptist Convention is the largest evangelical denomination in the United States. And it came to light just a few months ago that some of the higher level leaders in the Southern Baptist Convention over the past 20 years had been sweeping some sexual abuse under the rug. They didn't want it to taint their denomination's name, and so they staged a bit of a cover-up of sexual abuse that took place at the hands of a few of its pastors. Well, is sexual abuse common among Christian pastors? I'm convinced the answer to that question is a resounding no. 
I do not think that sexual abuse by pastors in evangelical churches is common in America, but it does happen. And we need to be on guard and call it out when it does happen. Sexual predators are wolves in sheep's clothing. Let's take a look at savage wolf number two. The embezzler who says, I handle church finances with the utmost integrity, when all the while he or she is stealing donations. Even Jesus himself dealt with this problem among his 12 apostles. Did you know that? Over in John chapter 12, verse 6, we read, Judas Iscariot was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. This past week, I came across an article from an officer at a bank that deals primarily with Christian churches, and he cited several examples of churches that in his experience, he personally dealt with these churches that had some sort of financial predators within them. There was the usher who collected the offering in the balcony of a certain church. And almost on a weekly basis, after collecting that offering, he would make his way down the stairs from that balcony. And as he was going down the stairs, he would reach into that money plate and help himself to the cash, shoving it in his pocket. There were also those two individuals in two separate churches, a bookkeeper in one church, a treasurer in another, who were both prosecuted and sentenced to eight years in prison for embezzling thousands of dollars from their churches. So we ask the question, is embezzlement common among churches? Well, studies have shown that it's actually quite common in the Catholic Church. It's very common in the Catholic Church. It's less common in Christian evangelical churches, but it does happen. And we need to be on guard and call it out when it happens. Financial predators are wolves in sheep's clothing. It's one of the reasons we try to be very careful with handling tithes and offerings at our church. We try to have a checks and balances system where it's not just one person who writes checks. It's not just one person who counts the money that comes in on a Sunday morning. Uh, we have a checks and balances system uh, to minimize the chances of any sort of financial impropriety taking place. Savage Wolf number three. Now, as we get into these next uh, eight, uh, these next eight, they're less physical predators in the church uh, than being spiritual predators in the church. And so those first two, sexual predators in the church, financial predators in the church, uh, those do real physical damage to Christians. These other eight primarily are doing spiritual damage. So Savage Wolf number three, the narcissist who says, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. What does Jesus say? Well, over in Matthew 23, Jesus levels seven woes against the Jewish leaders. And right before he does, he tells the disciples in verses 5 through 7, everything the scribes and Pharisees do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. Well, unfortunately, there are some big egos in the church today as well. And pride cometh before the fall. 
One of the problems with a big ego in the pulpit is that the pastor can get a bit of a Messiah complex. He begins lifting himself up quite a bit higher than Jesus ever intended. And what happens when we as leaders in the church lift ourselves up? We subtly begin pulling Jesus down. We are not on Jesus's level. He has the name that is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. No pastor can that be said of. Jesus Christ must be remaining high and lifted up in the church. And we are not to lift up ourselves in our inflated egos to be on the same level as Jesus. So when it comes down to it, uh, I think that this is a rather prevalent problem, especially in churches that get very large and have the pastors uh, be given a lot of media coverage and notoriety. The more people that come to a church, the more media coverage a pastor has, the more tempting it is to allow that to get to your head. Well, a few years ago, a local Christian businessman asked me to listen to one of his pastor's sermons, and he wanted my honest opinion, what I thought of that sermon. So he chose the sermon for me to listen to, and I listened to it, and I listened to it carefully, and I gave him a rather detailed written review of that particular sermon. And I shared that with him. Long story short, the sermon was terrible. It took a common parable of Jesus and completely twisted the interpretation of that parable. It was very self-serving. It was very health and wealth, prosperity gospel aimed. And it was just a rotten application of that sermon. It was really, really bad. One of the worst I'd ever heard. And so I was honest with this casual friend that asked me to evaluate that sermon. And I, I don't think I'll ever forget his response. He said this, he says, well, if my pastor is going to hell, then I'm going to go with him. Church, please, Christians, please, if your pastor or church leader is ever headed for hell, under no circumstances are you to go with him. Don't go with someone that's heading for hell. If that pastor is headed to hell, you get out of there. And you make sure that you're staying on the narrow road that leads to heaven. Oh, that really was a wake-up call for me. Some people are more committed to a pastor than they are to Jesus himself. And that's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. When people stop following Christ and teaching his word faithfully, stop following them. Narcissistic church leaders are wolves in sheep's clothing. Well, I'd like us to look at Savage Wolves number four and number five together. Savage Wolf number four, the universalist who teaches Jesus is a way, but not the way. All roads lead to God in heaven. And also Savage Wolf number five, the cultist who teaches Jesus isn't God. The Bible isn't God's perfect word, and salvation only comes through our church. Both of these we can pull from 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, where the Apostle Peter writes, There will be false teachers among you. 
They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. Well, I wish we had a a bit more time to tackle these uh, two savage wolves in the church today, because there are literally millions of Christians across our nation who have gotten pulled away from good Bible-teaching churches by so-called Christians who have either claimed that Jesus is one of many ways to heaven or that salvation requires Jesus plus something else or Jesus plus someone else. For example, Jesus plus the Mormon church or Jesus plus the Watchtower Bible and Track uh, Society, along with your local uh, Kingdom Hall down the street. Well, both universalism and cults strip Jesus Christ of his power and his authority. He is presented as great, but not that great. He is presented as eternal, but not as the eternal God. He is presented as a Savior, but not the Savior. He's not the one that every knee will one day bow to and every tongue will one day confess as Lord and Savior. If you've ever been in a church where the pastor starts pulling Jesus down to the same level as Buddha or Muhammad or Joseph Smith or even Moses, get out of that church quick. Universalists and cultists are wolves in sheep's clothing. Savage Wolf number six, the liberal theologian who teaches the Bible is filled with errors and can't be taken literally. Hmm. Listen to what Peter writes in Second Peter chapter three, verses 15 and 16. The Apostle Peter writes, our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Well, it's pretty sad to realize that in recent decades, more and more Christian Bible colleges and seminaries across the country have distorted the word of God. They've become soft on Christian theology. Many of them teach that the Bible is not the inspired, inerrant word of God. To make matters worse, they twist and they reinterpret scriptures that are not deemed politically correct or popular. They distort God's word to say what their itching ears want to hear. And they gather around them students and and people in churches who love to also have their ears tickled. you got to watch out. They are wolves In sheep's clothing, liberal theologians are wolves, twisting, distorting, and maligning the Word of God, and oftentimes distorting Jesus Christ himself. Well, for the sake of time, we'll go through these last four pretty quickly. Uh, Savage Wolves, number seven and eight, I want to look at together because they're based on the same verse, Jude, verse four. Savage Wolf, number seven, the hedonist who says, do what makes you happy. 
God will forgive you. And then Savage Wolf number eight, the LGBTQ activist who proclaims God accepts and affirms your gay lifestyle. Listen carefully to this little red book in the New Testament, the book of Jude. It's just one chapter. So we don't call out a chapter when we reference a verse in Jude. It's simply Jude, in this case, verse 4. Look at what it says in verse 4 of Jude. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. In recent years, there have been a growing number of Christian leaders and churches who turn a blind eye to most sexual sins. And as they do that, they proudly wave the rainbow flag. Twenty years ago, I visited a church here in the Victor Valley that was, in a sense, a gay church. It was proud to display the rainbow flag in their church. But it was a dinky little church off the beaten path in a kind of forgotten strip mall off a of Bear Valley Road. Fast forward 20 years, and now there are churches really all over the nation who don't hide in the corner somewhere. They proudly display the rainbow flag. They proudly proclaim to openly support the LGBTQ lifestyles and the LGBTQ political agenda that goes with it. Hedonistic Christians are very good at making excuses for sin and watering down what God's Word teaches about wickedness and judgment and hell. They view God's grace as a get-out-of-hell-free card. They think that they can live like hell and get away with it because, hey, the grace of God is great enough to cover my disgrace, right? Well, be on your guard. Steer clear of churches that call good what God calls evil. Hedonists and rainbow flag flying churches are wolves in sheep's clothing. Savage wolf number nine, the legalist who teaches Follow all my rules while largely ignoring Jesus' call to love God and people. To love God and people. Well, in Matthew 23, verses 23 through 24, Jesus levels this woe against the religious leaders of his day. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. The Pharisees were really good at forcing rules upon people that weren't grounded in love. Now, the common rebuttal when you point out our lesson number eight, our savage wolf number eight about LGBTQ churches uh, that, you know, we're soft on that sin and we, we proudly uh, will say, hey, we support uh, all people, including you and your gay lifestyle. The, the normal rebuttal when a Christian like me says, you know what, that's sinful, it's against God's word, and you cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven if you continue that lifestyle. The normal rebuttal is, well, you are hateful. You are hateful. You're a homophobe and all the names that come with it. 
And so this savage wolf number nine is important to keep in mind. It's not sufficient for the church to speak the truth. Remember, the command is to speak the truth in love. So we have to take a stand for biblical morality and call sin, sin, just as the Bible calls sin, sin. But at the same time, we have to remember Savage Wolf number nine. The temptation is to jump on board with those wolves that try to get all that we do to be done without love. And we just can't do that, can we? Jesus calls us to love him with all of our hearts and calls us to love others as we love ourselves. Remember, Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciple if you love one another. So keep Savage Wolf 8 and 9 together. They really do go hand in hand. We have to speak the truth, which many churches are failing to do these days. But we have to speak the truth in love. We've been talking about this quite a bit in our study of Galatians on Wednesday nights. Legalism takes our eyes off Jesus and shifts our focus to rule keeping. Any pastor or teacher who takes his eyes off Jesus and tries to get you to follow some religious formula instead of loving and following Jesus really is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Finally, savage wolf number 10, the political activist who shouts, Our top priority as Christians is to take a stand for our political views and get people to vote for our candidates. Don't forget what Paul writes to young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. He says, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Don't miss this. God only calls a few of us as Christians to be political activists. I believe he only calls a few of us to be political activists. But he calls all of us to pray For our political leaders. Amen. He calls all of us to do that. It doesn't matter if you are a registered Republican or a registered Democrat. God has called you to pray for President Biden and Vice President Harris. It doesn't matter what your registered political party may be. He has called you to pray for Governor Newsom and to pray for our local city council members. God has called you and me to pray for our leaders. And one of the prayers I've been praying lately has been this one. Oh, Heavenly Father, would you save President Biden and Governor Newsom? Would you save them, oh God? I encourage you to pray that prayer as well, because if God truly saves them and their hearts are regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, you better believe that their policies and their decisions will line up more and more with the word of God, because God's working on them from the inside out. Amen. It's the greatest prayer we can ever pray for any of our political leaders. God, save them. And there will be a ripple effect from that salvation that will produce policies and decisions that will make you much, much happier as a Bible-believing follower of Jesus Christ. It says over in Proverbs 14.34, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace 
to any people. So if you think there's plenty of sin going on in our government and plenty of sin going on in our nation, then one of the things we better be doing is praying for our leaders that they would be saved. More times than not, political activists in the church take our eyes off the goal which is to expand Christ's kingdom here on earth by leading people to salvation and helping them mature in their faith. So be on guard against church leaders who are two-thirds political activist and only one-third gospel proclaimer. When you come across a pastor who's two-thirds political activist, you need to go to a different church. Now, there are a few Christian pastors that I'm aware of who are politically very active and proclaim political views, even from the pulpit at times. But those guys who do it well are predominantly preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ every time they step up to that pulpit. And when they do touch on issues that are deemed political, almost without fail, they are focused on biblical and moral issues, not so much on candidates. And so some pastors, a few of them, do it very well. But for the most part, if you got a guy that's just politics, politics, politics from the pulpit, chances are he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Well, there you have it. Ten savage wolves in the church today that are not sparing the flock. So be on guard, church. Be on guard. Across America, there are plenty of savage wolves who have come into the church and they're hollering, little pig, little pig, let me in. And I hope that you will join me in saying right back to them, not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to stay strong on the Word of God. Help us to preach the truth from the Word of God, to proclaim the truth. Lord, even if it's not popular, even if it's not politically correct, help us to proclaim the truth of Your Word. Help us to proclaim Jesus Christ, not a watered-down Jesus, not a brought-down-to-our-level Jesus, but Jesus in all His glory. And Lord, I pray that You would keep Your pastors, including me, humble before You, O God. May we not have inflated egos as pastors or elders or influencers in the church. And God, I just pray that everyone listening to this broadcast, if it's not an impact, that they would connect with some strong Bible teaching, gospel proclaiming church that can help them grow in their faith and expand heaven here on earth for the glory of God. Oh God, I pray that we would not get caught up in the downward spiral of sin. And I pray that we would be watchful, that we would be on guard when wolves in sheep's clothing arise among us. Help us to be quick to identify them and show them the door for the glory of God so we can continue to stand on your truth and proclaim it to a nation that desperately needs to hear the truth of Jesus Christ. All these things we pray in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. We are so glad that you've been with us today. If you are not a believer and follower of Christ, I just want to share quickly the ABCs. A, you need to admit that you're a sinner and that you can't make it to heaven on your own. You need Jesus. You need to be, believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He's your only way to make it to heaven. Believe in Him. Trust in Him. 
And C, you need to choose to begin following Jesus Christ today, to put him in the driver's seat and have him start calling the shots in your life. You need to start trusting him. You need to start loving him and obeying his commands. If you're ready to make that decision, please reach out to us by phone or email. You can call us at 760-246-4100. That's 760-246-4100. Or you can reach out to us by email. That's info at greaterimpact.cc. We'd love to hear from you today and pray with you and help you begin that walk of following Christ. And you need to be baptized if you've just made that decision. That's a way to let the world know you are serious about obeying and following Christ. Jesus commands us to be baptized if we're following him as Lord and Savior. Reach out to us if we can help you with your baptism today. Well, God bless you as you walk in obedience to God's word, as you trust him and love him with all your heart. Look forward to being with you next time, next weekend. Share this broadcast with others that you think will be blessed by it. And we'll see you next time.